This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. As the new year unfolds, make it a year of comfort and indulgence with Minky Couture. Wrap yourself in the lap of luxury with our exquisite blankets. Picture the cozy moments, the warmth of our premium materials, and the stylish designs that define Minky Couture. Welcome the new year with the ultimate in comfort and sophistication. January is your month to embrace luxury. Visit MinkyCouture.com or your nearest store today. Elevate your comfort, elevate your style with Minky Couture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Thursday, September 14th, 2023. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the latest film news and gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, a couple news items that I wanted to bring up with you real quick before we dive into the water cooler. First up, Donald Glover's Lando is now a proper Star Wars movie instead of a Disney Plus series. This was a a surprise announcement that came earlier today. Uh, We don't really have much more information than that. Um, We know that Stephen Glover, who I believe is is co-writing the screenplay for this, along with Donald Glover, who is the the star of Lando, um, it basically just like sort of spilled the beans on a, uh, an interview show and then Variety uh, published a report saying, yeah, this is true, basically. So uh, because the strikes are still going on, we don't, you know, th- there's no like, um, I guess, concrete details about what exactly this thing is going to be. They're not ac- actively uh, working on it or negotiating with Disney or Lucasfilm or anything because of the strikes. So this is just kind of a once the strikes is over th- or once the strikes are over, this is a thing that's going to happen kind of deal. Um, but what is your uh, gut reaction to hearing that Lando is seesawing back over into movie territory? Yeah, I mean, sure. Why not? Um, you know, I mean, Star Wars has been firmly situated on TV uh, with, with the exception of the Skywalker saga coming to an end. And I think fans have definitely wanted to see more Star Wars on the big screen. Um, and, you know, even though Solo wasn't a huge hit, it wasn't necessarily like a disaster either. I think Lucasfilm just like needed to kind of temper their expectations. And maybe now that they know how a movie like Solo performed at the box office, they can figure out how to make a movie focused on Lando that maybe isn't as big as a usual Star Wars movie, but still operates on uh, a blockbuster level and they can hopefully continue some of the threads that were left dangling in solo since that's something that they haven't done yet and fans have really been interested to see so yeah i mean count me curious i i love donald glover in solo i thought he was great at uh, emulating billy d williams and portraying a younger lando calrissian uh and yeah i mean t- count me in i wonder like so first of all uh 
congratulations to all of the hashtag make solo to happen people, <laughs> because I'm sure yeah. they've been waiting for this for a long time. That seemed like a campaign that was going nowhere. Um, but this is maybe not technically what they were asking for, but certainly adjacent to it. So uh, there's like the possibility that Alden Ehrenreich's um, Han Solo comes back in this, maybe a probability. Um, so anyway, this seems like the closest they're going to get. Uh I do wonder if this project is ever going to happen, Brad, because like there's been a long list of Star Wars movies that have fallen apart due to the strong creative voices behind them, not necessarily gelling with what Kathleen, uh, Kathleen Kennedy is doing over at Lucasfilm and, you know, her vision for what Star Wars should be. Uh, and they're, they're actually um, not only that Donald Glover and Stephen Glover co-wrote that Deadpool uh, animated series for, I think that was for FX, which is like, yeah. Was it under the Disney umbrella at that time um, when that project fell apart? Or basically like FX was like, okay, yeah, this we we don't actually want this from you guys. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so, you know, I, I wonder if this is one of those things where they're going to write a version and be like, here you go to the studio. And they're going to be like, oh, wow, this is like way too interesting for us. Like, we're never mind. We're not making this after all. Do you have any, any thoughts on that, Brad? Any speculation no, about whether this will actually happen? I mean, Star Wars is in such like a state of just like development right now that they're just really trying to figure out how to put their best foot forward and figure out what the next era of Star Wars is going to look like. So, you know, it's it's anybody's guess right now, especially since we haven't heard anything about development because of the strikes and stuff. So uh, the fact that Lando is still around and kicking, I guess, is is pretty good. And if it has been, you know, being messed with enough to go back to being a movie after being a Disney plus series. I suppose that that's like maybe hopeful because there's plenty of stuff that we haven't heard about in a while that probably has fallen to the wayside. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it, for me, I'm, I'm just curious to see like what happens next with star Wars, because like there's so much potential for them to do so many things. And I just, I just want them to get back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what the next, uh, news item that I wanted to touch on is the trailer for Aquaman and the lost kingdom was released this morning. This is the final movie in the old regime of the DC, uh, the, the Snyderverse, whatever you want to call it, the DC extended universe. Right. Um, this movie looks unconnected to all of the other, uh, DC projects, except for the first Aquaman. I mean, it very clearly seems like a direct sequel to what was going on in that movie. Um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II looks like a total badass here as Black Manta. Um, that character I thought kind of got short shrift in the first film, but definitely seems like he is like the capital A antagonist in in this trailer anyway. Um, what were your thoughts about this trailer? Did you watch this one this morning? I did, yeah. And, you know, as somebody who wasn't in love with the first uh, Aquaman, I think that this looks pretty fun. Uh, you know, it has... Uh, definitely has visual style to it. You know, the, one of the things I liked about the first Aquaman was that James Wan really did craft like a blockbuster and went all in on creating, uh, you know, Aquaman's world and th- this whole underwater uh, civilization and everything and having all of the th- that big war at the end with all of the different creatures like that, too. And he's clearly done a lot more like that here. There's some pretty uh, gnarly monsters on display here and uh, stuff that could make for some cool action sequences. Um, so yeah, I mean, you count me in just because I feel like if, if there's any franchise like still lingering from the the previous regime of DC movies, this is the one that probably has the most appeal. Um, so yeah, let's, let's give it a shot. I was going to ask you about that. Like, so, so you think that there's, okay, the first Aquaman to back up just for a second made over a billion dollars and the most recent stretch of DC movies have 
severely underperformed at the box office. So I was going to ask you if you thought the old regime was going to go out with a whimper or a bang. Like, do you think that Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom has enough of that mass appeal uh, or maybe that first Aquaman um, worked well enough for a big enough portion of the audience that this movie might not reach the the heights, you know, cross a billion threshold or whatever. But do you think this movie is going to be like a huge improvement over the, the past three DC movies that we've seen? Uh, you know, I mean, I hope so. I, I haven't necessarily hated the most recent DC movies. You know, I enjoyed The Flash for, for what it was. And I, even though it wasn't a box office hit, you know, uh, I didn't have any any major problems with it. Um, you know, the fact that the first Aquaman was such a big hit does bode well for it. And I think Jason Momoa himself, you know, does have a, a draw in the same way that Dwayne Johnson does, I guess. Um, so hopefully, you know, he, he's got fans that will turn out and Aquaman is one of those characters too, for DC that has always been kind of like a punchline, but still has a very passionate fan following. So maybe just all of those factors combined is what's, what's working in its favor. And mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know how necessarily how far the word has actually spread about, you know, the the DC universe rebooting itself and, and everything as far as general audiences are concerned. Um, because like that, even though that could have easily been a factor with something like The Flash that also had, you know, several other factors working against it. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah, it'll it'll be an interesting test to see kind of like what what really works with with Aquaman and DC overall uh, and how, how this does leading into that that new DC universe. For sure. Okay, so let's get into the water cooler. Uh, we haven't really been doing a reading much. I'm, I'm still midway through reading a book that I'll talk about when I'm done with that. Uh, but what have we been watching? Uh, let's start off with you, Brad. What have you been watching recently? So uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before I did uh, a, a quadruple feature. I saw four movies in theaters in a single day. <laughs> holy crap Brad that's insane yeah so ba- basically the way it worked out is I was I was in Illinois for an extended period of time and I didn't really have much else to do so I was like oh okay I'll just catch up on movies that I haven't seen uh Equalizer 3 had just come out and then I caught up on three other movies that I have been in theaters and that I hadn't been able to see yet so uh the first one I saw was Strays the R-rated comedy with uh raunchy talking dogs voiced by Will Ferrell uh and Jamie Foxx most prominently and uh this one was just okay I didn't love it I didn't hate it uh, it's certainly not terrible. It's just not as funny as I hoped it would be. It, it does have good laughs throughout, but I think that they had a hard time figuring out whether they want it to be a more absurd comedy with like a tone that strikes something more akin to like a, a hot rod or something like that, mm-hmm. or, or a comedy that is just more so just about the raunch that leans into, uh, you know, kind of dogs being confused about the world and how they see things from from their level. And for, for me, like... Uh, it's going to sound like a stupid nitpick, but when it comes to comedy, you kind of have to have like a sound uh, field of logic to play in as far as like the, the universe in which like a cer- certain comedies exist have to have some like rules essentially established. And so like the, in strays, the idea is like Will Ferrell is this dog who's pretty naive about the world around him. He doesn't really understand fully how things work. Jamie Foxx is this more streetwise dog. And so, like, the the way that they talk about things is very much from, like, a dog's perspective. And, like, they, they lack understanding of certain concepts. So, like, when Jamie Foxx is t- uh, talking about this couch on the street that he likes to hump, he talks about it like it's this, like, sexy lady that he hooks up with, like, every now and then. And mm-hmm. talks, t- talks to it, you know, like if it were, like, a, a hooker or something like that. And uh, so you, you have this idea that dogs don't have this full grasp of understanding about what, like, the human world is like. 
But then later you have Will Ferrell, who again is a naive character and understands even less about the world and is learning things about it from Jamie Foxx, makes some kind of reference to Rumspringa. And so like, in my mind, I'm immediately like, why does this dog who doesn't necessarily understand a lot of basic concepts about the world have any idea what Rumspringa is? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's like, it's little things like that. And like, I wish that there would have just been like more time establishing like exactly what they wanted to be as far as the comedy. But there, there were some surprising bits that I was, that I was not expecting that were, were really good. Uh, and those were the bits that felt more like hot rod S to me that I wish they would have leaned a little more into that. But otherwise, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't love it. Didn't like, didn't like it. Um, so it's, it's okay. Okay. All right. What else? Uh, I saw the Equalizer three, and uh, for somebody who has been um, lukewarm, I guess in the franchise, I think the first one is pretty dang good. The second one is not that great. I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this movie. Uh, a big part of it is just because of how good Denzel Washington is, and because of how entertaining it is to just see him walk around confidently and just be deadly without any real second thought about it. Um, and it's kind of great that, cause this is a movie where like, there's not necessarily any real tension as far as whether Denzel Washington is going to come out on top exactly. Uh, but it still works so well. Um, and, and a lot of it is just because of like the, the Italian town that he comes to live in, uh, and the people around him that he, he embraces, you kind of, uh, you know, come to enjoy them and you just like, you know, Denzel Washington's character because he is, you know, still doing good in like just a very ruthless way um and like and the the violence you know is, is top notch here it is uh it's it's good stuff just you know uh stuff that will make you cringe and, and squirm because of just how, how brutal he is but yeah i found myself liking this a lot more than i thought i would i haven't seen any of the equalizer movies do you think this one is good enough or maybe the, the first one and this one are good enough to uh, convince me to like catch up with this franchise or should i just continue to sit this one out yeah i think so i it's not one that like i feel like you need to rush into necessarily you know it's it's cool seeing denzel in a franchise like this you know they're, they're not among my favorite action movies of all time or anything like that um but you know if, if you ever if they're ever you know easily available for you to watch sometime I, I would give the first one a chance and see how you feel um and you honestly don't really even need to see the second one to watch the third one if you watch just the first and the third one you'd be perfectly fine okay cool that's good to know um all right what else have you been checking out I saw Retribution, which is the Liam Neeson action thriller, which is basically phone booth meets speed, uh, where he gets in a car and he's being threatened by somebody who says, your car has a bomb in it. I'll blow you and your family up unless you do the things that I want you to do. And uh, it's a fun premise. Uh, Liam Neeson is, is solid in it. Uh, the, the, the script needs some work as far as like the dialogue is concerned. The, the writing just feels like it's not up to snuff. And there are some times where it has that issue where the the, the characters don't necessarily say or do the things that they should do that are probably in their best interest that would get them out of certain trouble. Um, but they, for some reason, they're a lot more vague about situations than they need to be. And it's not just because if they acted this way, you wouldn't have a movie. It's just stuff that doesn't quite make sense for like things that are unfolding. Um, and so like when you, when you have Liam Neeson's character, who's clearly under duress and is being forced to do things that he otherwise wouldn't do, even though it's made to look like he's the one being framed for it, like it's very clear that there's something else going on. And for some reason, Liam Neeson's character can never just be open about it or like just flat out say what's happening. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like what, what are you doing? Like well, you need to, you can have an opportunity to tell this cop exactly what's happening. <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah. It's just, just stuff like that. But it's, uh, it, it was solid. You no, know, I was never bored by it and it's, it's a, it's a 90 minute breeze. So I, I was fine with it. Okay. And then you also had a, had a chance to uh, catch up with Bottoms. 
Yeah, I saw Bottoms, uh, which is a fantastic uh, little comedy. Uh, it recently made some some indie box office waves because it opened in just 10 theaters that's opening weekend. And it uh, um, had a huge per theater average, the biggest since Everything Everywhere All at Once had its limited release. Uh, and this movie is just a lot of fun. Uh, it's directed by Emma Seligman. Uh, it stars Rachel Sennett and Aoi Beery uh, from The Bear. And it is, it's like Fight Club meets But I'm a Cheerleader with like, some flares of like a, I guess like a, like a dumb and dumber sometimes, or like a Romy and Michelle. Um, and it's just this like quirky, dark comedy. And uh, the, both Rachel Sennett and Ayo Adabiri are hilarious in it. It's got like a, a certain level of, of absurdity to it, but without going too crazy. Um, but just like the, the little kind of like world in which like the story unfolds uh, and the characters that exist in it, it's just, it's just, really really funny i was so happy that i finally get to see this because it is it is just really really good you brought up when you're talking about strays you brought up uh, comedies and like they need to have um sort of a set of rules that the movie operates by and i was wondering if bottoms to you is a good example of a movie that has a comedy that has those rules sort of maybe not clearly delineated but certainly like playing inside of the box that it sets up for itself yeah absolutely because like it uh it's kind of similar to actually napoleon dynamite in that way where the story unfolds in this like world where things are like a little bit off kilter but they're not entirely devoid of reality they're just characters act in a strange way and there's no real like uh second guessing about it this is just how people are in this world and you accept it and you move forward and like that's exactly how it is and there's no like inconsistency with which how you know those characters act or operate or interact with each other or anything like that so yeah this, this is a perfect example of how to do something that feels like it's oddball and outside of the box but not in a way where like you're confused or like having trouble understanding exactly why things are the way they are. Mm-hmm. So Brad, I'm still kind of reeling from the fact that you saw all four of these movies in one day. I mean, that's what we do at like film festivals and stuff when we, we spend, you know, eight hours or whatever watching the movies. That's, that's kind of nuts. What was the experience like of watching four movies in a day, not in a film festival setting? I mean, I kind of love it, honestly, every now and then this happens. It's uh, this is the first time I've ever done four at a movie theater in a single day outside of uh, a film festival. The only other time that's ever happened for me is at Sundance. Um, I've done three in one day before, but it's a it's a rarity like I would say maybe like once a year I have a day where it's like oh I need to catch up on stuff and I don't have anything else going on I will schedule uh three movies back to back and do it and so this just kind of worked out that I uh, I had a day where like I, I so so long story short my mom went to an EDM concert with my sister amazing it was my yeah exactly because it was my sister's birthday that's what she wanted her to do and it was in chicago and so i told my mom i would drive her there so that she could spend the day there but she could leave whenever she wanted to whenever like she was like ready to go and didn't have to worry about making my sister leave or anything like that so i spent the day in illinois nearby and there was an 18 screen amc theater and so i just looked at the schedule and spaced out what i could see during the day and gave myself you know enough time in between and so we, we, I actually had breakfast in like the late morning, early afternoon. The first movie was at 2.15. I saw Equalizer 3 immediately after that, had a break for dinner. And I stopped at a couple stores to do some stuff for my Brad's Junk Instagram. Uh, and then I went back to see Retribution and Bottoms back to back. And the reason I think it works together so well is three of the movies I saw 
are 90 minute movies. So it made it so okay. much, so much easier to schedule and it gave me enough time to be able to see them in a single day. I was going to say like, did you eat all of your meals at AMC? That sounds <laughs> terrible. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not. I, I actually didn't even really uh, get any snacks from AMC except for a, a drink and some gummy bears. So yeah, it, it, wow. it worked out pretty easily. <laughs> okay. So uh, what else have you been watching aside from all that? Uh, I watched the first season of Afterlife, which is Ricky Gervais's show uh, on Netflix. And uh, literally never heard of this brad so it's it's actually really good so far um so it is a it's a series that follows ricky gervais uh not as himself but as as a character who is depressed and lonely and just like miserable after his wife has died from having cancer and so you're watching him as he is in the throes of just not wanting to even live anymore and that sounds super depressing but because it's ricky gervais it has this dark comedic edge to it because of just the way he's like existing in the world is like just like a royal prick and, and just just hates everything um but like it's got that dry you know sarcastic british sense of humor that i, I love so much from somebody like ricky gervais there are times when he is thoroughly exhausting but this is the kind of character that I like to see him play that he, that he is very good at. And he is a good actor in, in these moments, too, when he is supposed to be emotional and depressed and that kind of thing. And it, it really has just a nice beating heart to it. Uh, and so I find myself uh, really liking the first season. I, um, I, and I was drawn to it because I had seen uh, some clips that were shared with me uh, through, through Instagram, just like quick, funny moments that I thought were hilarious. And so me and my girlfriend decided to watch it like from, from a distance. She's currently, you know, in Utah and whatnot. And so we watched it together um, and just like, you know, texting while we were watching it and, and enjoying that. So uh, it's really good. I, I, we just started the second season and after the first couple episodes, it doesn't feel like it's quite as strong as the first season. And since this is British TV, these are only like six episode seasons, half an hour episodes. So it's it's super fast to get through. Um, but the second season starts to like expand a little bit to focusing on a couple other characters that are in Ricky Gervais's um, purview, like just a couple of his friends. And that's the part where I'm not liking. Like I want the focus back on Ricky Gervais and it feels like it's fumbling a little bit. So I, mm -hmm. I hope that it gets back together but there's uh, i know there's a third season I, I i'm pretty sure the season that like the show ended with the third season but i'm i didn't go confirm that because i didn't want to spoil anything if, it, yeah. if that's not the case so yeah gotcha okay and then uh, you're also in the middle of a uh, a movie franchise marathon yeah so i uh i saw the trailer for saw x and i was like well maybe now is the time to go back and catch up with all these saw movies because I had basically only seen the first three Saw movies when they when each of them came out. And I kind of just fell away from them. Uh, some of it was just from lack of interest and like n none of them really felt urgent for me to see. Uh, but now I'm curious of how they're bringing, you know, Saw back. And I know that like it takes place between a couple of the movies in the past and uh, it's, we're coming up on Halloween season, so I'm like, sure, why not? Let's dig into almost a dozen horror movies where, where people are brutally tortured endlessly. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, so I'm I've made it up through Saw four now, um, and it's it's been a wild ride already. Uh, you know, it's the first two I remembered pretty clearly. There's a couple of details I had forgotten, like I had completely forgotten that Danny Glover uh, was in the first Saw. Movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, but I did re definitely remember that almost everybody is awful in that movie mm -hmm. uh it's a good thing the twist in that movie is so good because the acting is just atrocious um but the uh this so digging through it is i i'm i've come to enjoy like the the interconnectedness and like the twists of the narrative of the story and how they're playing with time and stuff like that but the fourth one feels like it's just like 
it's starting to get to the point where it's just it's needlessly complicated and i just i feel like it's they have to try so hard to make it fit into everything else so i'm kind of curious to see how it all continues and if they're able to maintain that level of interconnectivity with the storylines and like flashing back and filling in gaps and being like, Oh wait, but this is actually part of this. And you didn't know this because mm-hmm. it's, it's the story devices are fun and it's cool to see those kind of reveals. Uh, but it's just like, I like, like jigsaw would have to be like the smartest man on the planet. to pull All <laughs> of this stuff. off. <laughs> yeah. I stopped watching after saw four, but I remember seeing saw four and being blown away by the reveal of where that movie takes place on the timeline. Yeah. And um, just being like, Oh my God, that's so cool. I love like the mythology of it. And then, you know, a year passed and I saw the trailer for saw five and I was like, I think I'm out on all these. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And that's where I stopped. But um, so I, I can't, uh, give you any hints about what happens in the future of the franchise because where you are right now is is where I gave up on the whole thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I do kind of appreciate the franchise's willingness to like twist itself into knots. It reminds me a little bit of like Fast and Furious, which is another thing that I love that that just like plays really fast and loose with the, the timeline. It just like seems to be having a lot of fun with um, with like crafting those reveals for maximum impact for the audience, you know? Yeah, of course. Uh, Okay, let's take a break and then we'll be right back. Okay, a couple things I wanted to mention that I've been watching. Um, We have A Haunting in Venice coming up, which is the new uh, Poirot movie from uh, Kenneth Branagh. I went back in time and watched, well, not I didn't physically step into a a time machine, but I I went back and watched a 1965 uh, Poirot movie called The Alphabet Murders, um, which stars Tony Randall as Poirot. And this is based on Agatha Christie's The ABC Murders, which is um, one of the Poirot novels that has a really cool premise where uh, characters in the Poirot universe, um, there's this this, uh, serial killer called the ABC Killer who starts killing people with... um, like the, their name starts with the same letter. So Albert Atchin, I think is the first person. And then like Betty Barnard and then uh, Carmichael Clark or something. So like they're just going down and picking random people who live in the England area or whatever on the, the, the England Isles and just murdering them and, and leaving like a, a trail of clues for Poirot to follow. So um, the movie is like not, a, a particularly good adaptation of the book. It really kind of goes off in its own direction. It has that same loose premise, but it's really much more goofy than the book is. And I didn't particularly love Randall as Poro. So uh, yeah, I, I would not recommend that people watch this. Um, I just, I read the book a long time ago and enjoyed the concept and thought that this movie would be, thought it'd be fun to see what the adaptation was. And the adaptation is just like so far afield from what the book was that uh, it was just like, yeah, very goofy. Uh, Robert Morley is in this. He, he's one of those guys who you would recognize if you watch a lot of movies from, um, you know, like the fifties, like he was in the Afri- uh, African queen and he was in uh, top Cappy in the sixties. And um, he's in beat the devil with uh, Humphrey Bogart. And he's just like one of those, uh, guys that has like a very unique look. He plays Captain Hastings, who's Poirot's friend. Um, so I, I appreciated seeing him in this because he seemed to be having fun, but like Tony Randall as Poirot was having like, I thought too much fun <laughs> in the role. So uh, yeah, one of the, the rare times where people having too much fun, uh, like actually doesn't really translate very well to the source material that they're working with. So uh, that's the alphabet murders. Also watched Designing Woman from 1957. This is a Vincent Minnelli movie that stars Gregory Peck and Lauren Bacall. Uh, Lauren Bacall is so good always. Uh, I love watching her and stuff. And Peck, I've seen in you know a handful of things. He's been in 
like I, I love him in Roman Holiday and obviously like To Kill a Mockingbird is like the big movie that he was in. I haven't really taken the dive into his filmography and seen a ton more of him, um, but it was really nice to see him here. The premise of this movie is he plays a sports reporter who lives in New York City and in uh, Beverly Hills, California, he's like covering a, a golf tournament and he meets this woman and uh, they slowly, quickly, whatever, very, in like an intense way, fall in love. And he realizes that she also lives in New York. So they get married. And as they move back, it's like a whirlwind romance. And as they move back, he realizes that he doesn't really know much about this woman who's played by Lauren Bacall. And she is like a high-end fashion designer. And he's the sports reporter. And they just live on opposite sides of the social circles and social worlds and like you know, he doesn't like her friends and his friends are boorish and all that. And so it, it's very much like a, uh, a high society, low society kind of like, are these two crazy lovebirds going to make it kind of movie? Um, and, you know, I enjoyed it. There's some good stuff in here. It's not like one of my favorites from this period or uh, one of the great like uh, rom-coms of the age or whatever. But uh, it's always fun to see Peck and Bacall um, individually. And then I thought they worked pretty well together, uh, given the circumstances here. So that's called Designing Woman. Um, I also saw Reality, the 2023 movie that was directed by Tina Satter. Did you talk about this on the podcast, Brad? I feel like you did. I don't think so. I don't think I've ever seen this, and I'm not even sure I know what it is. This is the one with Sydney Sweeney um, that's based on a true story. And so Reality Winner is somebody... I, I like missed this entire news cycle. This came out in 2017, I think, where um, this... this uh, I think she was an NSA agent named Reality Winner. Um, basically, like served as a whistleblower and like released information that uh, Russia was involved with um, hacking the 2016 election and uh, or influencing the 2016 election. And so this movie reality is like a really interesting thing where the entire film is based solely on uh, actual recordings that the FBI took on the day that they went to interrogate her. So they like pull up at her house and that's how this movie begins. And every single line that every person says is like word for word, what happens, uh, you know, what happened on the day in this transcript. And there are moments, the, the coolest thing about this movie is there are moments where, um, the entire like the whole screen kind of like blips out or like a character will blip out of the setting when the characters say things that are still classified so uh it's just kind of a cool like visual flourish to a movie that otherwise is like pretty straightforward but sydney yeah sydney sweeney is is really good in it um so i would say it's worth watching for her performance and just that yeah that that sort of like interesting uh little concept of like it's really like a, a concept movie almost. It's it's almost like a, an experimental film or something in a way. Um, it's not, you know, uh, visually dynamic or anything. It's just like, it's more, um, yeah, can we pull this off as a concept, as a movie? And I think they do. Uh, it kind of seems more like a, like a table setting movie almost for Tina Satter. Like, okay, let's see, you know, you pulled this off. What can you do next? It's very much like a, what can you do next kind of movie. So yeah, um, yeah that's called Reality. It's streaming on Max right now. And uh, I don't know, you know, in terms of like awards consideration or anything like that, I'm not sure if, if Sydney Sweeney's performance like rises to that level where it's going to be recognized on a, on a wider level or whatever, but I thought she was very good in this. So uh, that's good. And then um, Bad Sisters is the final thing that I wanted to talk about. Have you heard, heard of the show? Have you seen the show, Brad? This is the show um, with uh, what's her face from Game Night, correct? Game Night. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the cast of Game Night, and I uh, Rachel McAdams is in it, and she's not in this show. Um, 
Is there somebody else from Game uh, Night? Sh- Sharon Sharon Horgan. The, oh, uh, Sharon Horgan. Yes, yeah, yeah. Irish she, woman. Yeah, she was in Game Night. I don't remember her in that. Yeah, she's the she, um she's the one who um uh what's his, again I'm losing forgetting his name too um what's his face brings to the Game Night who who's like the 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 dimwitted douche bro oh the guy yes oh uh, god why can i not remember this guy's billy name magnuson. Billy magnuson. yes magnuson yes yeah yeah okay cool yeah i forgot that she was in this yeah so she co-created this show and uh stars in it and this is such a good show brad i think especially if you like sharon horgan she's so good in it and everybody is is really great in this eve hewson is also in this she's in uh, oh, nice. flora and son the the movie that we saw at sundance and um, she was in the Nick, and she's really great. Uh, I think his name is Clay's Bang, who was in like um, the Square, and uh, he was in the the Northman, and he played Dracula in that 2020 uh, Dracula series that was on Netflix briefly. Um, anyway, the the premise of the show is that uh, it's it follows five sisters in Dublin. And one of the sister's husbands is this controlling, abusive, absolute piece of shit human being played by Clay's Bang, who is like one of the most evil, uh, manipulative character, like fictional characters that I've ever come across in any medium. He is just like a a diabolical... Uh, absolute like like it makes you so mad watching what this character does because he just like needles his way into people's lives and ruins people left and right and he is just like an absolute asshole and so he's married to one of these sisters and all the other sisters hate this dude with good reason he's he's as as the show reveals in flashbacks he has played a major part in in a lot of their downfalls and a lot of their like misfortunes and uh, the the series opens with him dead, the the husband dead. And so you slowly realize over the course of the show or over the course of the pilot that um, these sisters have have maybe teamed up to kill this guy so they can sort of free their other sister from his iron grip, basically. Uh, and it is just a incredibly like tightly written, um, really suspenseful at times show. It's got a great like uh, driving propulsiveness to it. It's got a really great supporting cast. Daryl McCormick, who starred in Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. It plays the brother of um, a character played by Brian Gleason, who is Donald Gleason's real life brother, uh, who's also an actor, the, the son of... Uh, of um, Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson. Yes. Thank you. Um, so these two guys are playing like insurance agents who are investigating the, the murder or the, the death of this, um, of this complete asshole guy. <laughs> and they're like trying to figure out, Hey, did these sisters have something to do with this? What's going on? And there's this really propulsive, uh, almost like ch- cat and mouse chase element to, to what's happening. Um, all of the, the characters are super well drawn and, and well written. And um, yeah, this is just like, uh, I, I loved every second of watching this. So uh, incredibly high recommendation for me for Bad Sisters. This is on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, it, it is one of those shows that kind of feels like the first season of Big Little Lies where, you know, the, the story comes to an end and actually this show has been renewed for a second season. And I thought the renewal of Big Little Lies was a mistake because the first season was so good that like, why on earth would you come back and try to extend this story? And I have to say, I, I feel a little bit that way about, I'm like very nervous about what they're going to do in a second season because yeah. everything just paid off so wonderfully and works and like clicked into place so well in season one. 
that I'm just like, why are you doing this? Like what, what reason could you possibly have? So uh, I love the first season so much that I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I, I am very nervous about it. So anyway, that's Bad Sisters. It's on Apple TV Plus. Um, incredibly high recommendation for me. Nice. Uh, let's get into what we've been eating. What have you been eating recently, Brad? All right. So uh, I like fruit snacks a lot. Do you still like fruit snacks, even though you're not a kid anymore? You know, I haven't had them in a while, but I still do. Yes. Yeah, I enjoy fruit snacks. I, I honestly always look around to see if there are any new uh, flavors and stuff out there. And I noticed an entirely new brand of fruit snacks on shelves. Um, apparently, there's this YouTube channel or show called Ninja Kids. I have no idea what it is. Apparently, it is popular, and I assume with the kids. Um, but they're called Ninja Kids Fruit Blocks, and they are literally just cube-shaped fruit snacks. Uh, but what I really like about them is the texture feels a little bit more uh like squishy and like gelatin like than your average fruit snack like some some fruit snacks have a little bit more of like a firm flavor to them um and others are more kind of just like gummy bears and these are kind of like somewhere in the middle where the cube shape gives them like a firm feeling but they also still feel very squishy and they're strangely satisfying to bite into because of that because it's just a cube of fruit snack and i just i really just strangely enjoy like the the texture of them when i bite into them so uh they ha- they have a, a a variety of different flavors the ones i got were the tropical ones because i, I dig tropical fruit flavors uh, and the flavors are really good too so if you see them on shelves i saw them at walmart with the rest of the fruit snacks so feel free to check them out because i i really enjoyed them okay ninja kids with a z so yeah ninja kids with a z fruit blocks with an x <laughs> <laughs> they are extreme okay yeah uh, I also just tried a bunch of new Van Leeuwen ice cream flavors. Uh, so Van Leeuwen is an ice cream brand that's, uh, I guess, a little bit more of like uh, an upscale ice cream brand. They're, the the pints that you see in stores are a little pricier because it's French ice cream. And, you know, French ice cream is more expensive, I guess. Uh, but they are known for doing a lot of wild, uh, unconventional flavors. They're not just doing standard cookies and cream most of the time, even though, even though they do have some regular flavors like that. But in the past, they've done stuff like they did a craft macaroni and cheese ice cream. They did a, a pizza ice cream. And like, no one's asking for these. Um, but the, <laughs> but they're interesting. And, I, and I've tried them. And they're not always a hit. But, I, I'm, but they also have really good outside of the box flavors. And uh, for a while now, they've had new flavors that show up in Walmart every couple months, like an array of usually like five or six or, you know, and uh, I was able to finally get my hands on uh, a sample package that they sent me so, so I could try them. Because uh, otherwise, I'm not going to spend, you know, $30 to try all these ice cream flavors from Walmart. <laughs> and so uh, the flavors that they, they have this time is they have six new ones and two returning seasonal flavors. So the new ones were honey cornbread with strawberry jam, cranberry crumble, sticky toffee pudding, apple pie, purple velvet, and Idaho potato malted milkshake and fries. And <laughs> and then the two seasonal ones were sweet potato marshmallow casserole and pumpkin cinnamon roll. Some of those sound like normal ice cream flavors, but of course, the malted milkshake and fries and the sweet potato marshmallow casserole, those aren't normal ice cream flavors. <laughs> um, and so uh, I'm, I'm actually pleased to say most of these are very, very good. Uh, my favorite was the honey cornbread with strawberry jam. Uh, it has like crumbles of cornbread in it, but without making the ice cream feel like it's it's grainy. Uh, and the, the flavor was like just sweet enough and mixes so well with the strawberry jam swirl that it was really delicious. Uh, the other one that I really that I just tried for the first time, even though it's a seasonal flavor, was the pumpkin cinnamon roll. Because in addition to the ice cream itself having that like pumpkin spice kind of flavor, uh, it has like a, 
a frost a cinnamon roll frosting like uh goop basically that's in it that you like scoop along with it uh and the flavor of that mixed together was was just fantastic the one that was uh terrible that i did not like at all was the idaho malted milkshake and fries now (laughs) i was expecting to enjoy this one actually because i don't know if you've ever done this but dipping french fries in like a wendy's frosty is a very enjoyable experience have you ever done Mm -hmm. that i have yeah yeah that's what I was expecting from this, uh, but just being vanilla since it was just malted vanilla milkshake. Uh, however, the way the potatoes are mixed in this ice cream gives it a very grainy, almost sandy texture, and the potato flavor is far too overwhelming, and it does not mix well with the ice cream. And it basically tastes like you're eating cold, uh, r- super shredded hash browns. Mm. <laughs> And it was it was not an experience that I, I enjoyed very much. It was very confusing to my tongue, and I was not happy once I fully processed the flavor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, that, so that's Van Leeuwen. Uh, people can check that out at Walmart, it sounds like. Yeah, um, they, and Van Leeuwen does have flavors of ice cream otherwhere, but Walmart is the one that has been consistently getting like new exclusive flavors like every couple months. So just yeah, keep an eye out in your freezer section. These should be hitting there right now. Um, I also tried Wendy's new nacho cheeseburger, and I'm not sure if this is still there because it was a limited time thing, and it's it's been like uh, over a week, maybe even two weeks now since I've tried it. Um, but, but basically, like you know, for me, I think Wendy's is probably one of the superior fast food uh, cheeseburgers, and so I'm always interested in uh, trying whenever they have uh, a new burger out there. And so this one is uh, it comes with queso on it, you know, not just the the um, regular cheese they normally do even though it does also come uh with that it's a poblano queso uh spicy corn and tortilla strips and a chipotle sauce with lettuce and tomato um i didn't dislike it but i didn't like this and i think partially it's because i'm not sure that the flavors go that well with a burger and i was curious as to whether or not maybe it went with or with the chicken sandwich because you can also get a chicken sandwich fixed the exact same way but it's just mm. you know the, the chicken the crispy chicken patty instead of the burger and so i wondered if that might be uh better um but the i did enjoy the uh, the queso fries that you could also get with them that did use the same queso and so that that was pretty good but otherwise i was i was a little disappointed uh in in how the burger turned out Okay, what about some uh, potato chips you've been eating recently? Yeah, I stumbled upon uh, at 7-Eleven every now and then they get some random new flavors. And I noticed that they had prime rib potato chips. Yeah, these are potato chips that taste like prime rib. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? They were okay. The Whatever seasoning they used to actually make the meat flavor, it was uh, a little bit savory, a little bit smoky. Uh, and it, it reminded me of, of a prime rib, you know, but albeit in a potato chip form. So if you happen to see those at 7-Eleven, maybe give them a try. <laughs> Uh, And I just want to remind everybody uh, that all candy corn is trash. Uh, I know we're getting into Halloween season. And so you're going to start seeing it. And you're going to think to yourself, maybe maybe I should see if candy corn is is good now. And you know what? The answer is always no. Um, (laughs) It's always bad. It's always just plastic sugar garbage. Uh, the only good candy corn that is out there is Nerds candy corn. And it's because it doesn't really taste like candy corn. It is just a uh, a candy shell with some tangy fruit flavors that tastes like Nerds. Nerds candy corn is awesome. It's back for the season because it's a Halloween candy. All other candy corn should be thrown away immediately. That's where it, that's where it goes. It already comes in a package. Just throw it away in the garbage and it's fine. Okay, that's a public service announcement from Brad. Yeah, that's, um, that's for you. That's to help you. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So the last thing we're going to talk about is uh, what we've been playing. And it sounds like you're five years behind on a game. You bet. I am. I am very up to date with what the kids are playing these days. Uh, you know, <laughs> some kids are out there with their, their Minecraft and their Fortnite. Me, I just finished up playing Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4. <laughs> <laughs> That's because, oh, A, I don't have a PlayStation 5 yet, and B, I don't have time for games. <laughs> yeah, that's all of this sounds very familiar. I'm in, I'm in yeah. the same so, boat. I, I had played it a lot uh, during the pandemic, and I made it, made my way through a big chunk of it. And just recently, I had thought about it, and I was like, you know what? The Spider-Man 2 is coming out soon. I, I'm probably still not going to be able to play it for a while, because, again, I don't have a PlayStation 5. And if there's anybody out there from Sony who's listening and wants to send me one, I'm not going to be upset about that. And yeah, you know, me too. Me too, Sony. Me too. Yeah, we will <laughs> totally review Spider-Man 2 on SlashFilm.com because it's basically like a movie in video game form. So, yeah, anyone out there, if you want to do that, hit us up. Uh, but, yeah, so I played Spider-Man on the PlayStation 4, uh, and I beat the narrative, and then I went back and I 100%ed the game because uh, I ended up being pretty close. I, I realized that I just missed a bunch, doing a bunch of, like, the the thug crimes and the sable crimes and that kind of thing. So I went back and completed the entire game. Uh, and I, I love this game so much. Um, part of the reason I, I love this game uh, initially is just because it is basically an updated uh, then current gen version of the Spider-Man 2 video game for Xbox back in the day, which is one of my favorite video games of all time. Uh, it does a great job of putting Spider-Man in a sandbox environment. It lets you do whatever the hell you want to and just be Spider-Man. And this does that on uh, the level of a PlayStation 4. It's so much fun. Uh, the narrative is enjoyable to get through. And it's just it's just great being able to just explore the city and do whatever the hell you want to and occasionally have to fight crimes as Spider-Man. Uh, so I'm uh, I beat it. I had a blast doing it. Now I'm actually going through the three DLC chapters that there were released sometime after the game came out. So I literally just started that, uh, and I still have the Miles Morales like in between game to play before mm -hmm. Spider Man Two. Uh, I'm also sitting on Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which I haven't played at all. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy game, which I haven't played at all. <laughs> uh, so I, I have plenty of games to keep me busy. I, I have been trying to make some more time whether it's like just an hour or two, you know, on like a day during the week to kind of play some games because I, I do love video games as soon as I get into them. But it's always just a thing where like I want to sit for a decent amount of time and really dig into it. And, yeah. you know, it, it can be hard to do sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I've, I found myself like when I was trying to play through Spider-Man the first time, I think I actually reviewed it for Slash Film. And I remember waking up at like, you know, five in the morning or something to give myself like a solid, you know, two or three hours or something in the day before I like, got up and really like started my day. And uh, it sounds insane, but it, it was like the only time of the day where I felt like I could actually uh, get away with like doing that investment that you're talking about. And it, it paid off. So um, I don't know. I had fun with it. Maybe try that, Brad. I don't know if that'll like completely screw up your entire life by waking up that early. <laughs> but um, man, I just got to say, like, I love that that Spider-Man game on PlayStation 4 that you mentioned. And, and I think the you sort of made it seem like the narrative. Oh, yeah, it's fine. I kind of feel like the narrative for that is be is the best Spider-Man story I've ever heard. Like everything in that entire, the, the way that the villains come in and out of the story, the the core uh, arc of the of all the characters, I just thought like on a um, a narrative satisfying level, it might be better than any of the the movies that I've seen. So. I I wouldn't go that far. I do I do like how it's structured and how the villains come in and out and how especially how Norman Osborn and Doc Ock's stories are tied together is yeah. very different from anything else we we've, we've seen before. Sometimes my problem with video games is like 
as hard as they try to be cinematic and they typically are with the visuals, it's the, the performances from the actors who play the characters typically aren't up to snuff. And this one, it felt a little just like just ham fisted sometimes um, mm. and just borderline cheesy occasionally. Um, but I, I did like the way the narrative was structured. I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it for sure. I, but I, for me, my money, Spider-Man two, the, the movie is st- still has the, the best story, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The SlashFilm show is published two times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.